The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. For everybody, it's lovely to practice together. So, this idea of poetry of practice, and there's poems, prose do, does as well, but poems, there's a way in which they often use metaphor in a really evocative way. And this is part of what can make poetry be so powerful. Maybe speaking directly to the heart because it's using metaphors or maybe not the usual concepts or labels or language that we would use to describe something. But instead, sometimes in poetry, there's a way in which there's a pointing to something rather than saying it or labeling it directly. So maybe there's a way in which the heart and the mind have to like look in a particular direction in order to understand what the poem, what the poet is pointing towards. And we might say in some ways, all we're ever doing when we speak about something is to point towards it. Right, there's a difference between the labels and the words that we use than the actual objects or experiences. And there's something about poetry that doesn't try to pretend that it's not doing that. Whereas in our usual language, we might think that the map is the territory, for example, that the concept that the word is the actual thing that's important. So... In some ways, we might even say that practice, this meditation practice, this Buddhist practice, is so much about highlighting the difference between the words, the labels that we assign to something, and the actual experience of that something. So here's the poem that I read during the guided meditation. I'll name the name of the poem and the poet at the end here this morning. But for now, just feel into this poem. It is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Even in this one lifetime, you will have to choose that great calm being, this clutter of soup pots and books. Already the first branch tips brush at the window, softly, calmly, immensity taps at your life. So this poem begins with, it is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. This poet grew up in the Bay Area. Actually, I don't know if they grew up in the Bay Area, but certainly lived in the Bay Area and practiced with the San Francisco Zen Center and this role of trees. And for the Bodhi, sorry, for the Buddha, it was the Bodhi tree. But uh, for this poet, it's a redwood tree. And ancient India, these Bodhi trees were majestic. And certainly here in California, redwood trees have this same sense of majesty or mighty or dignity. There's a way in which 
being in a grove of redwood trees, any of you have been there, know there's a sense of it being in a cathedral. So this poet is pointing to trees, the powerfulness of trees, as well as maybe the, the specialness, the dignity, the powerfulness of trees. And we could say in this poem, it's representing practice. So it's foolish to let a young redwood tree grow next to a house. And we could say that a house represents the self. It's that we, that which we build and create and feel like we have to support and uh, hide behind or hide within or get lost within. And, and the Buddha certainly used this in some other poems that he's used that we can find in the Dhammapada about talking about the house builder being, you know, the self and the house itself being itself. But a house can also represent like our attachments, those things that we are tangled up with. And so a house can literally be a house, but maybe not necessarily. And then in this line, it is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Foolish, in Pali, this word foolish is the same word as child. So it's a way of just not knowing better yet. And the Buddha called people fools who didn't recognize that what they were doing was a source of suffering. So this idea of planting a redwood tree, practice, next to a house, a sense of self. Then the poem continues, even in this one lifetime, you will have to choose. This notion of, maybe I'll just say, some of you might know that IMC, Inside Meditation Center, is in Redwood City. There's a reason why it's called Redwood City. There's a number of reasons, but one is um, there's redwood trees there. And in the front of uh, IMC is this really big redwood tree. Maybe, I don't know what the diameter is maybe eight feet, something. It's really big. And this redwood tree over the years has been growing and growing and the sidewalk around it was like buckling and was really getting distorted and was, you know, creating a tripping hazard for people. So IMC worked to to level out the sidewalk and we had to call in the city to help with this. And I love this so much. The city came in looked at this redwood tree, looked at the sidewalk, and they just decided to reroute the sidewalk around the tree. Just recognizing that trees are powerful and they grow and there is no stopping them. doesn't matter how much concrete you put down on a sidewalk. So maybe in the same way, maybe this poet knew this, had this experience for themselves and the same way in which practice grows. It's the nature to grow. And it disrupts our sense of self, disrupts our attachments. So this idea of that if you don't want anything in your life to change, if you don't want any disruptions, then don't plant your practice next to it. So this poem continues by saying, you'll have to choose between that great 
great calm being and this clutter of soup pots and books, that great calm being, you could say is awakening. You could say it's practice. You could say it's just regular meditation. And then this clutter of soup pots and books Maybe this poem is a little bit autobiographical. Maybe the poet has a lot of books and likes to cook. But clutter is the opposite of calm. Maybe there's a sense of things not being cared for or being neglected. And we might ask ourselves, what in our life is the opposite of calm? What is... What do we have? What have we filled our life with? Our sense of self with? That's the opposite of calm. So this poem is not asking us to let go of our soup pots and books necessarily, but I would say it's asking us to let go of our grasping to them, our clinging, our craving, our compulsion, to like shift our relationship to the objects of the world and allow that relationship to be disrupted by this growing practice, by this growing tree. And maybe it's asking us to soften and let go of all the ways that we limit and define ourselves. And to let go of those objects and experiences that we're using to bolster and protect and maybe even inflate this sense of self that we have. So this disruption, of course, it doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be some big, giant, painful things. It's the way it might just be this simple, gentle, dismantling of this house, this sense of self that we're so trying to hold on to. So maybe it's something as simple of softening a resentment or a grudge and starting to feel and see more clearly how this leads to suffering. Or maybe it's about softening our preferences for how we think other people should behave or how we should behave, these ways in which we're dismantling a little bit this sense of self. Then this poem continues, already the first branch tips brush at the window. I love this. You know, the branch tips, right? This is what's uh, visible above the ground. It's maybe obvious when there's the roots of the trees are what disrupts the sidewalks off often, and they're not so visible. But there's a way that just brushing at the window, maybe there's this way that sometimes we can just really feel practice meeting our life. It's not necessarily always pleasant, and maybe it only happens under certain conditions, just like the brush tip, the tips brush only when it's windy, for example. But is there a way that we can become sensitive to and notice, or maybe we've already noticed the way that practice is affecting our life? Or maybe this is a question. In what ways has practice 
brushed up against your life. Maybe you're not cursing at the driver that's going too slow in the lane in front of you or cuts you off or doesn't use their blinker, whatever it might be. And then this poem ends with softly, calmly, immensity taps at your life. Immensity, without limits, vastness, without a sense of how things should be, maybe without a sense of self, like with no limits. And first, the practice is brushing against the window, and then it's tapping, a little bit more insistent in a way that we can't really maybe ignore it. So maybe there's this shift in emphasis, and maybe we're starting to choose, oh, that calm being, the tree practice, or versus this clutter of soup pots and books. So I'll read this poem one more time here. It is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Even in this one lifetime, you will have to choose that great calm being, this clutter of soup pots and books. Already, the first branch tips brush at the window. Softly, calmly, immensity taps at your life. This poem is called Tree, and it's by Jane Hirschfield. I'll say this again. The poem is called Tree, and it's by Jane Hirschfield. And I offered my interpretation of this poem. But what's your interpretation? I offered one way we can look at this, but part of the beauty of, I would say, practice and poetry is that we each find our own way. Nobody's way is exactly the same. Nobody's interpretation of this poem will be exactly the same. What is your interpretation? How does this poem relevant to your life today. So thank you. Thank you for your practice, and I'll see you tomorrow.